Hello and welcome to episode two now of One More Go. We have officially more than one episode. It so is one us. more go. It is. We've had one more go, one more go. So, yeah, now that we're off and running, I think we can safely say that this is the greatest thing either of us have ever done with our life. So Everything I've ever done has been leading up to this moment, and thank you for giving me meaning. Totally, and thanks to everyone that's listened to the first episode and said nice things about it, and I think we've decided that we're going to probably do this for the rest of our lives now. So. Mm-hmm. Whether you want, want us to or not. I pretty much just going to keep hammering away at it. Yeah, I think, until we're doing, games. you know, one more goes about current video games. Like, what are current video games? I don't know any current video games. Halo 2, I think that's pretty current. That's, yeah, that's really recent, actually. Yeah, that's cutting edge. Yeah. I'd probably have to buy, like, a, an Xbox to play that on, wouldn't I? I know, you would. Original oh. Xbox. The big fella. Is there another Xbox? There's one right there, mate. Ah. You can't see it because this is the radio, of course, but yeah. there is a broken Xbox just out of, just out of range. <laughs> Which I believe is the natural state for most 360s. Ah, just zing. All, all there we go. There's a Sony fanboy zing from 2005 for you. I know, it, it hurts me. It hurts <laughs> me. Now, I've got a PS3 as well, it's fine. I don't yeah. play either of them, but I, I just yeah. have them. You're a man of the world. Aye. Well, Should we am. introduce ourselves? My, for people that are maybe only tuning in now. For the brand I'll new see I'm now running with this radio vibe, eh? Yeah, yeah. This is actually the radio. Um, I'm, I'm Barry Topping, known as Epoch to a lot of people. Um, I like Nintendo. <laughs> yes, you do. That sums me up if pretty well. needs to be known. My name's Nicol. I uh, write things on the internet. And I do other things as well. But, you know, what's more important than writing things on the internet? And I like Nintendo and Sony and Sega. I like them all, too, to be I fair. I suppose Microsoft have their moments, don't they? Do they? Don't know. I've only played Halo 2, mate, so <laughs> I wouldn't really know. No. So what are we going to talk about today, Barry? We're going to talk about video games, which, video you games. know, people may have guessed, but we've had a fun time over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure, catching up with some of our loved games from our past again. That's like, right. So I'm going to be talking about uh, Donkey Kong Country 2, Ooh. with the, the greatest subtitle ever, Diddy's Kong Quest. Oh, Kong oh you just dropped a pun bomb. I know, I know. That happened echoing across the years. See, this was it. Like back in the nineties didn't even need to play the game, you just read the pun on the on the cartridge yeah. and that was you. That, that was the that was the experience. That was the most exciting thing, seeing the game announced on the cover of Games Master magazine oh. and uh, seeing Conquest and that's when you felt ah, I'm satisfied. Oh, I'm satisfied it. with everything that's happening here. I'm going to talk about much more recently. I'm going to talk about Psychonauts, which was actually released on the first Xbox. I know what an Xbox is. I was only playing with you earlier. Uh, uh, it was released on Xbox and the PlayStation 2. Um, and yes, I'm going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, as a, a tagline that I've desperately tried to make happen in the first episode, I don't think it stuck, but games that we used to love, games that we still love, and games that we hope you'll love too. Is that is that the tagline? I, I don't know. Do you think like it's on the iTunes feed? It's a good enough tagline, I think. I yeah. like it. If anyone else out there on the internet can think of a better tagline for us, then please get in touch. Yeah, try to reduce it to like five or less swears. Aye, any more than that, and it's probably, you know, it's not going to... Yeah, that, that's probably just an obscene publication rather than a tagline. Unless, if you were to use fuck six times, then that's completely fine. I, want, I hope you beep that. Aye, I'll beep that. Don't you worry. I'll beep you, mate. Yeah, beep, beep everything I say in this sentence. On you go. Oh, I thought you were actually going to launch into a tirade there. No, I meant that sentence. That's actually That's unfortunate. Saying. So, aye. Um, video game, retro video game happenings wise. I went down to Eurogamer. Oh, yeah. Last month. Um, and they have that kind of great retro section down there. It's really, really cool. Like, 
they kind of have they like have sofas set up and stuff, and you can go and play stuff like I watch a lot of people play Micro Machines. I didn't play a lot of these games. I, just, I don't play games. I just watch people play <laughs> games. But uh, it's watch. really really cool, man. So I uh, played a lot of Street Fighter, Street Fighter Two, which was nice. Micro Machines. That is one of the ultimate um, party multiplayer horrific friendship ruining games it really is whoever had been playing it they named all the characters totally amazing stuff oh well. right oh right it was yeah. totally amazing uh, yeah that was a that was a great thing about micro machines like uh, characters came with default names but you could write them over with your own interpretations of what those characters actually were so good the best one was Pratt <laughs> that was particularly good Route 1 but very effective aye Oh like, man, that's lovely. Um, yeah, I mean they had. They did, had did you have anyone like sharing the controller? That was always my favourite thing about micro machines. You got eight player off of four controllers. Oh yeah, so you did with the the what was that cart called again? Uh, J cart. Ah, the J cart. The J cart was the um the uh, uh, controller ports in the cartridge. But yeah, like you could get eight player even though you could only plug in four controllers. But like um the controls would just be like if you had the D pad side of the control pad, you just use like left and right. Your car automatically accelerated. You just had down to brake. Oh, yeah. But your car was basically just going as fast as it possibly could unless you told it not to. Um, and the other sides, because this was on the Mega Drive, you had the three buttons. So, you know, A was left, C was right, B was yeah, brake. I don't think I ever played the eight-player, actually, now that you mention it. I definitely played the J-Car one, yeah. but I don't recall playing full-on eight-player on it. See, this is the thing. This is the tragedy. I don't think I had eight pals that. when I was Yeah, yeah I know. Like, seven I, pals. I don't think I've ever met anyone who's had enough pals and enough money to set up eight-player anything. Aye, this is true. I've got Saturn Bomberman with my multi-tap. Most we've ever had going is five-player. That was great, but a logistical nightmare. We had Saturn Bomberman set up at Eurogamer. It's the greatest. On the subject of Bomberman, I've been playing a Loadrunner on the NES recently. Oh, yeah. And, like... I'd, I'd kind of realised, but I never really had properly realised, but, like, the enemies in Loadrunner is, like, the Bomberman. Yeah? Yeah, it's the same It's the same sprite as the NES version of Bomberman. This so, will like, turn out to be, like, a, a, a total Tanuki thing, where, like, it turns out, like, those are, like, uh, incredibly famous traditional Japanese gods. Uh, no like, doubt. You know, like, at, at the end of NES Bomberman as well, though, like, you, the Bomberman turns into Loadrunner. And it, uh, I think it says something at the end like see, uh, Bomber became Runner see you again in Loadrunner so like Loadrunner is like the sequel to Nez Bomber man that's incredible what are so Hudson bizarre. doing I know what are Hudson doing Hudson to be fair in the 80s Hudson were on like have you played Adventure Island like no. Hudson did whatever they wanted like they just made <laughs> impossibly difficult games just for a laugh and Loadrunner is impossibly difficult I just like, love this image that you've got of like the entire boardroom at Hudson stuff sitting around like with like secret cameras implanted in bedrooms all across the world, watching people, watching young Barry Toppin well, trying to play Adventure Island, and just like them all going ha 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 ha, our plan is working. Ha 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 ha. And the only explanation is that Hudson wanted to laugh at you. That's that's why that's why that happened in Japan. Adventure Island's called uh, Master Takahashi's Adventure Island, uh-huh. and he was like the one of the head execs. All oh, right. At, at, and at Sunsoft at the time. So it was actually was it Sunsoft at Hudson. 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 Yeah, it was Hudson. Yeah, I always forget because then then they became yeah they merged, merged they, they, they they squished together. Aye. And but, uh, you control him like he's the <laughs> main character. There was somebody pushing for a promotion. I, I know. hope it worked for them. I just thought it was like a generic caveman until I was like was watching something about it and it was like there you go you control. Which do, made do me we think, hope that he go, went to work every day in a loincloth on a skateboard? A <laughs> That'd be good. 
That would make Hudson the raddest company in history. Wait, is there a skateboarding adventure? Yeah, yeah. I always get it confused. Probably, it was the 80s. With Kid Cool. Kid, Kid Chameleon? No, Kid Cool was a different thing. Oh, uh, Kid Chameleon definitely had a skateboard, or at least yeah. one of his chameleoid personalities had a soccer skateboard. Soccer Kid. You kind of look a bit like Soccer Kid. So, you ever play Soccer Kid? Was that um, like Marco's Magic Football? You are Marco. I am Marco, except he was blonde, I seem to remember. Oh, that's a different game then. All right. Oh, um, so, yeah, I, so apparently I'm Soccer Kid. Marco's soccer Magic kid. Football was better, if only because they had Magic Eye adverts. Uh, oh, really? In the magazines at the time. That's kind of exciting. Yeah, yeah. It was like Magic Eye, pre- tra- uh, Magic Eye trade adverts were reserved for Marco's Magic Football and Mallrats, both of which had Magic Eye 3D <laughs> adverts when they came out. There's there's a Venn diagram. Aye, that is a. Aye, <laughs> I can't even get my head doing that. Right, shall we talk about Psychonauts now? Yes, we will. Um, so over to you, Nicole, so you can tell us about the wonderful Psychonauts. The human mind. 600 miles of synaptic fiber, five and a half ounces of cranial fluid, 1,500 grams of complex neural matter, a three-pound pile of dreams. But I'll tell you what it really is. It is the ultimate battlefield. And the ultimate weapon. The wars of this modern age, the psychic age, are all fought somewhere between these damp, curvaceous undulations. From this day forward, you are all psychic soldiers, paranormal paratroopers, mental marines who are about to ship out on the adventure of their lives. This is our beachhead and this is your landing craft you shall engage the enemy in his own mentality you shall chase his dreams you shall fight his demons you shall live his nightmares and those of you who fight well you will find yourselves on the path to becoming international secret agents in other words psychonauts the rest of you will die! So, Nicole, you've been playing Psychonauts? I have. Psychonauts was a game initially released in 2005 on the Xbox and PlayStation 2 and was the first independent game delivered by Tim Schafer's brand new company, Double Fine. Brand new at the time, obviously, mm. after he left LucasArts or Lucasfilm Games, depending on just when you jumped aboard that uh, George Lucas field train. Mm. It is um, kind of an action-adventure platformer, I think is the best way to describe it. It's a 3D platformer. The The story of it is you play uh, a young boy named Raz who has run away from the circus and his acrobat father because he has psychic powers. But there is um, a, a summer camp called the Whispering Pines Summer Camp that uh, trains young psychics and all the psychic arts and uh, Raz runs away to this uh, camp to try and get himself some some training some uh, some kind of rain on his nascent powers mm-hmm. um, and over the course of it it becomes apparent that um, one of the camp staff uh, they, this camp is a front for the psychonauts um, agency we're apparently some sort of like vaguely superhero-ish organisation who like 
fight crime and uh, save the world using the, responsibly using their psychic powers. Mm-hmm. But one of the uh, camp staff who are training these people, turns out he's, he's gone a wee bit crazy and his plan is to steal the brains of powerful young psychics and put them in powerful tanks to win wars or just have tanks. James. You know, people like to have tanks. Like a maniacal Russell Grant. Very much so, Good. yes. He is a psychic, eh? Or is he just... What is, are you asking me, is Ro- Russell Grant psychic? He normally just deals in horoscopes, I think. Aye. I think Denron Brown would have been a more... Sorry, he's psychic. Or what's Derek Okora? A footballer, is he not? No, he's a psychic. Do you know he used to play football? Maybe. Ah, I know he's a psychic, but... It's a good not. footballer name. He did that Mikey Jackson seance, remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, see, that's, that's real science, man. Mm-hmm. Astrology and... Mystic Meg and that. Mystic Meg's like this Stephen Hawking of of lottery. Aye. <laughs> I think I think all the best science is science that you can't really explain or would want to. Aye. Anyway, so you um, the thrust of the game is uh, in order to uh, defeat this guy who's been stealing your pal's brains. You have to you use a, a portal to enter into um, other characters' psyches. They're like there's characters with sort of mental issues or or blocks to their past, and when you enter in their head, you get a, a, a themed level based around that person or their personal problems, yeah. and you you jump and collect your way through it until the end, and you solve whatever's ailing them. And uh, yeah, it's like action Fraser Crane. Ah. That's that's what you're doing. It's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the game itself, uh, there are flaws. You can tell that the strengths of most Tim Schafer games are in ah, the yeah. aesthetics and the, the the scripting and the characters and all of those things in Psychonauts are pretty wonderful. The voice acting, the the creation of the characters, the setting. Very, very compelling. Unfortunately, the, the mechanics of the, the game itself uh, are a little bit broken. It's got one of the most frustrating 3D cameras I've ever experienced in a game. Nothing kills a game quite like bad camera. Like. I have a question about 3D cameras. Okay. One of the earliest 3D platformers is Super Mario 64. That camera worked perfectly. Aye. How come nobody else in 20 years has been able to make a camera that works as well as Super Mario 64? Because it was a Lakitu in a cloud that followed you around with a camera, you know. So you think the key to this is, is turtles? Definitely. Like, I'd say so. Turtles do make everything better, don't they? They do, they do. Yeah. I think that's a really cool thing about Mario 64 as well, how the camera, you know, the fact that you could see, you oh, could yeah, see yeah, him yeah. when you look in the mirrors and that. Yeah, you could yeah, see absolutely. Him yeah, yeah, so it's cool. a lovely little like, detail. I know. But aye, bad camera control has ruined a lot of games. Yeah, I don't. Re- I don't recall. I've I played Psychonauts, but not for a while. I don't recall the camera being. Well, see, this that is bad, a, but is it is it pretty shocking? Though? This is a funny thing about about Psychonauts generally is that um, it's a game that's more fun to have played than it is to actually play. I see. Um, like my memories of it are, you know, very fond of like just like the the great humor in the game and the the sort of striking uh, designs at the various different levels and I remember it being frustrating but like the actual sort of problems when like you know things don't quite work and sort of crashes especially later to, towards the end of the game really oh. like they do come into, uh, into play and it's really annoying and so like I think my probable affection level for the game has actually gone down slightly but if you ask me in like two it's... years time I'll be like 
Oh no, Psychonauts, that's amazing. Aye. That's definitely worth your time. Well, I'm glad that we've made a podcast that, you know, is slowly going to be ruining our love of <laughs> things that we once held in high regard. But no, but the thing, but this is the weird thing, it's not, these frustrations aren't new, these aren't... Um, you just forget about them Yeah, yeah, the, the, these aren't a product of playing an older game. Mm. This isn't like a, a limitation of the technology at the time, this is just a limitation of... You know the programmers' abilities, and they were always yeah. there, but they they get solved over because the actual joy of the game completely overrides it. Um, when I talk about the different aesthetics, the different um, sort of psyches that you encounter, like the the way that the the artistic design of it works was was beautiful. Like your your early stages, your sort of training levels are going into the minds of the the camp instructors. Mm-hmm. So you've got. Um, a very analytical guy called Agent Nine, who sort of looks like um, a cross between Tim Robbins and Neo from The Matrix, mm-hmm. which you know. So no, a guy who likes to party, but um, his sort of training stage it, like takes place in a giant cube that's uh, sort of decorating that sort of uh, yeah. style, um, you know, angular. Uh, I can remember that. You know, sort of, yeah, sort of modernist Stark plane, Aye. and like all the. Um, sort of target ranges and enemies sort of like leap out of this uh, like it sort of unpacks itself and becomes something something bigger and like those levels that unpack are a little more disorganised a little more sort of like a a look beneath the sort of cool surface of control Mm. you know it's like you know not only is it sort of servicing the metaphor of the game it also looks beautiful yeah that's deep man yeah yeah and then you get like later characters like a later um, element of the game is you you come across like an insane asylum. So obviously you're going to have sort of like broken characters in there. You have like a, a conspiracy theory, like uh, obsessed security guard. And the interior of his mind is like a really twisted uh, white picket fence suburbia. Uh-huh. The most striking level is this sort of um, guy who's a sort of Hispanic artist who like does those sort of um, black light paintings on velvet, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like, you know, sort of glow in the dark paint on velvet. So the whole level is this sort of um, Mexican Pueblo, but like done, like everything's black and ah, all the details are awesome. accented in like neon pinks and purples and things like that. Very nice. And that just looks incredible. That's just such an amazing aesthetic. And it's these things that really compel you and these things that really inform this sort of like, uh, you know, fond, fond memories that I have of the game. Uh, and, you know, that's a really sort of driving thing to, to go forward to see, you know, just how beautiful the next stage would look. Uh-huh. Where it falls down slightly is that the actual game mechanics in all these places aren't all that different. Um, it's still just a platformer, it's still just fetch quests, it's still just collecting. And that kind of sums up the whole Psychonauts experience. Aesthetically and design-wise, it's incredibly daring. Game design-wise, it's quite generic. And, um, you know, that's kind of problematic. Yeah, it says a lot about the quality of the game, though, that this sort of thing can be generally overlooked. Exactly. To give a, it's still a pretty wonderful experience, from what I gather. Well, this is the thing about um, the time that it came out, especially in, uh, in, in the UK. This, this is what, what you know, really sort of cements it as a really sentimental part of my gaming history. Um, they came out, it came out in February 2006 in the UK. Uh-huh. Within the same two-week period, you had Psychonauts, you had Shadow of the Colossus, and you had the English translation of uh, Mina Daisuke Katamari Damacy, or Everyone Loves Katamari Damacy. Mm. Like, you know, I bought all three of those games, and 
loved them. Aye, that's a but, throng of yeah, glory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the main thing about it was, like, this was a time when, like, a new gaming mainstream had really become a thing. This is, like, in the sort of uh, post-Halo 2, post-Grand Theft Auto San Andreas world, where there was, like, a new gaming mainstream that was sort of, like, blockbuster movies. Like, the, these were sort of huge... Um, mainstream entertainment products that a lot of people were interested in. Uh-huh. The, the, there was this sort of like idea of AAA titles that had an impact in the wider cultural scene. With those sort of three games coming out in such a short pre- period of time, it started to feel like that new mainstream had managed to birth a new credible indie alternative. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, indie games wasn't anything new. You had yeah, yeah. you know sort of web games, you had Homebrew, you had like Net Yaros, as we discussed last time. But this kind of felt like a... Like, like there was like a genuine market for like a video gaming Miramax, you know, like a, a place that made games that weren't, you know, they weren't huge, they weren't selling, you know, they weren't like in the top 10, mm-hmm. but they had enough of an audience and enough of a, a sheen of quality about them that they were professional, compelling, uh, artistic products that were designed and built and aimed at a more niche audience. And the idea that there could be something like this, that was one of the more sort of vital steps in there being a maturation of how games um, are, just like the, their their landscape. Those three games, especially, you know, they make a pretty decent case for can video games be art for that mm-hmm. that old chestnut. Like no, absolutely. Shadow of the Colossus, especially, it's a bit of a yeah, absolutely. That for me is what Psychonauts really represents: the idea that there can be um, a competent and a viable niche market mm. for high level video games. So, where do you see Psychonauts as sort of main merit? Which part of its experience is the one that's going to stay with you? Well, in the game itself, it is the it is the design, it's the variety of the levels. Well, the variety of the level design. Mm-hmm. Again, like I say, the actual gameplay isn't that varied. Um, but you know, just giving you a game where you know you go from dodging around a a, a twisted version of uh, suburbia to being a giant kaiju version of yourself destroying a city that's populated by tiny lungfish <laughs> to fighting a psychic bear to a psychic bear a psychic that's a bear it's a, well, a telekinetic bear and there's a pyrokinetic cougar as well that just roam around the campgrounds James. the interesting thing with psychonauts especially in the context of the other game that we're going to talk about today um Donkey Kong Country 2 is that it really seems to betray a weird lack of understanding that Western developers have for what makes uh, Japanese platformers work. Mm. And that um, a core part of the actual game mechanic, beyond like the, the platforming and jumping and sort of fetch quests, is that there are loads of different things to collect, but the actual collection doesn't vary. So there's motivation at least for Yeah, 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 but stuff. but... The different things don't do different things, yeah. and the, the 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 method of collecting is still just explore the level and find the thing. Yeah, like there's once there's things called mental cobwebs, which are just sort of like these glowing pink cobwebs, and you have to have a special device to detangle them. Is, okay. is the phrasing that they use in there? But it's still just finding a thing and picking it up. Except you have to get out your device to untangle the cobweb, which is only used for that. So you have to go into your menu system, go out, get the device, press the button to clear the cobweb, and then put your device away again until you find another cobweb. And it's Aye, just I see. a really laborious thing. And it doesn't um, 
understand and like not that we want to go back again to just saying how great Super Mario sixty four is though <laughs> it totally is. It totally is. But yeah, like the, there are different paths, and it's 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 compelling in a way that that rare games, especially like it was a real problem with like the Banjo Kazooie games and things like that. That just having like five different things. Hey, watch it. <laughs> that just having like five different things that you collect in exactly the same way doesn't make for five different gameplay experiences. It's just putting a different icon on the same activity. I love Banjo Kazooie, but if you know, never see a another Jinjo ever again I'd be pretty happy about that like true it's a bit of a grind a lot of the times in platform games collecting things especially if you don't feel the rewards are really worth it well exactly I mean I'm sure this is something we'll discuss in Donkey Kong but like you know um, you either go in for that you're either the sort of person who who laboriously wants to race across every pixel on the screen twice to make sure you haven't missed a coin or you're somebody who wants to actually play the game mm. you know it's um, it's the difference between you know sort of enjoying your experiences and just like indulging your OCD ah uh, definitely both of which are completely valid ways to play video games don't get me wrong Aye. you know I don't want to lose half our listenership <laughs> just by saying you know like collecting things rubbish mate but you aye, know aye. Um, I don't think a lot of western developers or especially the developers of Psychonauts really understood that um, it wasn't varying their experience at all mm. But I feel like I've spent more than half of this section talking about what's wrong with Ripping Psychonauts. Psychonauts I... And it is, it is still joyous. Like this game, right? I do love this game. It is so, like, the, the, the experience of it is joyous. It's just actually playing it can be a little annoying. There are a lot of games that fall into that category. Yeah, but it's definitely important, um, if only for that, you know, what it did for, like, sort of independent studios and things like uh-huh. that. And so uh, you can play this game. This is it. This game is everywhere now. This is another good thing about the uh, sort of online world we live in. You can get it. It's PSN. It's Xbox Marketplace. It's on Steam. It's on good old games. It's everywhere. See, I was going to ask that, but you're a, a one man, yeah, one I, man army. Nicole. Yeah, you know it all. Like I could tell. I could see the glint in your eye. Is it? How well does it work? Because I don't know if you've played it on 360, but I know a lot of those original Xbox. Games that you can get off the the marketplace can be a bit sketchy. I've no idea. I don't know. I played it on PlayStation Two. I'll maybe I pick it up. I think. Copy. I, it is worth it. It's so worth it. Stick through the annoying parts. What's the definitive version? Would you say? Is there any opinion on that? Um, I think that the opinion is the original Xbox one because that's what it was actually developed for. You know, like it was another company ah, that handled the port over to PlayStation ah, Two. See. Which, so you know, I don't know if some of like the the glitches, there's sound glitches and things like occasionally, like oh. sound just stops playing. Really, like, like, the last set level, the last level is famously frustrating. It takes a lot of goes to get through. And like the other night, like I was like wanting to complete it for this podcast just so I had like you know the sort of full picture and I was yeah. talking back at it. I like to think we're always going to complete the games. That I would we're hope so, about. but I came so close to just going, "This is not worth it." Really, but I did complete it after what I put myself through. <laughs> you would have honestly done that. Well, I, I did it. I did it. I completed it. Mm. And then when it came to like the closing FMV, there was a sign glitch and none of the dialogue worked. Oh, oh my god! So I skipped it and I just. Oh. And then the next night I thought, right, well, I can wait it once, how hard can it be? I'll just go back to that last level and I'll do it again. Mm-hmm. And I gave up because I was so frustrated and just watched the FMV on YouTube. Ah, uh, no way, man. But, um, you know, I don't know if that's a, a product of the port. I don't know if it did that on Xbox. And I would imagine those sort of issues have been 
rectified for the for the marketplace and PSN ways you could buy it now. And you should buy it. You should buy it. If anyone out there has a, an opinion on the definitive version as well, please let us know because I, I will be playing it. So I'd like to know which one I should get. So Tell Barry what to do. This is your opportunity. You've done good so far, listeners. Like We found out what a Dragoon was. We did. We did. Although, mounted infantry... Like in those games, like none of them are mounted. Like no, no, in those games. But if anything, it just goes to show further that Japan doesn't have. I suppose Panzer Dragon, you are mounted. Oh, I guess you you just mounting a dragon. Everything else, but yeah, nothing. Like it's just it, big guys. I think it's just the general definition of what a dragoon is in JRPGs. Um, went to the Scotland Loves anime thing was on. Mm-hmm. Went to see some stuff at the Edinburgh one. I went to see uh, Berserk, like the Golden Age arc, mm-hmm. which is, I don't know if you've read Berserk or seen any of the old TV series or that, but it's set, it's set in Europe, basically. And there was a Q&A with one of the animators and I think maybe the producer. But a lot of the questions were sort of, you know, what was your research on Europe? It got me thinking about what we're talking about during, the, oh, right, during sure. the Vandal Heart stuff. And a lot of questions like, oh, you know, what was the location scouting like? And basically there was like no location scouting and they just looked at photos and had a couple of guidebooks. Guidebooks. <laughs> they, they built they built their vision of Europe from period Europe from guidebooks. I love that. I love the idea. I know. They just this is definitely what they do with games yeah. as well. Like So much. So um, much. Though that's it, I remember like you get games like um What's it called? Like iNinja, core game. Like the, uh, I remember the developers of that talking about how they they did like go to Japan and they did sort of like go around like you know forests around Kyoto and try and get a sense of that. And that's because it's rad to go to Japan if you can get your boss to pay Aye, for this it. This is true. If you if you can get your boss to pay for you to visit Glasgow to make sure that Glasgow is actually a medieval town, you're not going to do it. Like as like sort of weird and different as we find like kanji looks to our eyes, like it like. Like Western language looks the same. That's why like all Japanese things have just got like cool or surf written on them totally. because it's just like oh wow that's the yeah. I just kind of hope like I don't know. If, well, Japanese people don't get tattoos anyway because that's a yakuza thing. But like you know, if it was a similar culture to us, there'd be just guys with like spirit written across their pelvis <laughs> bone, or you know, like ones that had just sort of like um, you know small penis and an arrow, and they were told that it meant you know. Legend. Have you seen my tattoo? Because I borrowed Hudson Sauce Camera Network. <laughs> good. Callback. Aye, good callback there. See, you are a comedian. <laughs> Not that I'm saying there's been anyone doubting that or that. Yeah. I don't want to plant any seeds here, but aye. You keep doing what you do, Nickel. You shine as bright as you can. I will. I'll keep making comedy and I'll keep playing Psychonauts. Aye, I'm going to play Psychonauts too, so I'm sure in the next episode I can talk about how frustrating I found that last level. Or maybe I'll be like, that last level was pretty easy. (laughs) Yeah, you just go, that was a breeze. You just jump. After what I spent the last three days doing, man, there is no game left that can challenge me. Well, why don't we take a little break and then we'll discuss what you spent the last three days doing. Yes, let's. Yes! Donkey Kong Country 2. So tell us all about Donkey Kong, Kong Country 2. Country 2. Um, Diddy Conquest. Diddy's Conquest, actually. Diddy's. There we go. <laughs> Diddy's. I, 
my pretty pretty much my favourite game from childhood. My favourite SNES game. Mm-hmm. Um, like my young childhood when I was actually a child, not the man child that I am today. Yeah. Um, great game. I loved it. So I was like, I'll go back and play this. Which leads me to my first issue with the game, where I was under the impression when I was nine years old that I'd completed it, cause, like I'd got a hundred percent completion. Which, first of all, to complete Donkey Kong Country Two completely, it's a hundred and two percent. It's a hundred and two percent. One hundred and two percent completion. That's interesting. That's that that's setting some of like the OCD completists that we were speaking about earlier. That'll drive them mental. It drove me mental. I'm only a wee bit OCD, and it was like hit me climbing the walls but so I was under the impression when I was nine that I'd managed to do this that I'd already mm-hmm. completed Donkey Kong Country 2 to 102% unfortunately when I put the cartridge in my SNES and turned it on I realised that I'd just made that up oh, and I'd right. actually had completed about 68% of it so, oh you slacker I know I know I'd completed the game I'd got both endings but I hadn't so you know what I mean this when you realise that you've held this sort of like oh my favourite game from childhood yeah I've totally completed it all and then you realise that no you maybe just told yourself a lie to avoid the stress yeah you, you realise that you were actually a complete failure when you were nine years old I know and rather than just you know playing it through for nostalgia's sake and having a laugh at I was like not 102% which culminated in me pulling an all nighter on Friday until I completed it 102% and it was very very harrowing but it was also a joy. Yeah, but you also were able to sort of shake hands with your nine-year-old self across time and go, we did it. Punch my nine-year-old Looks self in the like face. we made it! <laughs> what a beautiful voice you've got, Nicole. That's not true. Uh, but no, I saw, no, no, I kicked the shit out of my nine-year-old self for being a wimp. Excellent, yeah. Well, it's nice to know that you've improved. Of course, which takes me on to the actual game. Oh, Yes. Donkey Kong Country 2, if you're not familiar, is obviously the sequel to Donkey Kong Country, yes. which was a, you know, a, gr- a great series of games. There's three of them for the SNES, side-scrolling platform games. You control a monkey, you collect bananas and coins, and that's generally the premise. Um, came out in 1995. Donkey Kong Country, the series, there were 32 meg cartridges, so they were like the you know, the beefy. big SNES games. They were the big, like, really great-looking SNES games. Graphically, mm-hmm. at the time, they were, you know, kicked the shit out of the Mega Drive, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Um, well, it's a funny thing, actually. I didn't play any of the Donkey Kong Country games because I thought they looked too good and oh. therefore would be completely shallow. I see. Because this is ah, how video games operated in the 16-bit era. Like the the way the graphics looked, they reminded me of um, the like the the Clay series, like Claymates and Clay Fighters, uh-huh. which were games what um, created their graphics. Where, like the, the sort of claymation company uh, would make clay models and then photograph them and scan them in sort of Mortal Kombat style. So instead of people, it was like you know scanned clay models. So they looked lovely, but they were. Terrible, terrible games. Clay Fighter was pretty ropey, like. And specifically for sort of CGI, uh, it reminded me of Rise of the Robots, which oh. really was a game that that completely destroyed graphics for a generation. Rise of the Robots sucks. It, I know that's the point, but like we were so excited when that was like first like on the cover of Edge and things like that, and you're just like, that's that's a that's a film that's gorgeous look at it and horrible game like that's Terminator 2 Aye. and your Mega Drive and it's the worst so in my head like, what you are know, you doing 
Rise of the Robots when you could have been playing this, man. You need to go well, and kick the shit out of your nine year old self. Well, well, I was, well, I was, when Donkey Kong Country came out, the first one came out, I, was, I would have been 13. Ah, so you were already into the, the lassies by that time. <laughs> Any time for games, eh? Oh, yes, that's exactly how my high school uh, years went. Lotharios can't play Donkey Kong no, games. No, 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 they can just stick with Rocket Knight Adventures and just sort of. No, but like. Um, yeah, in my head, I'd made this um, association that if a company spent so long on getting the graphics to look nice, game can't be any good. Mm. So I just how had to wrong tell were you? Well, yeah, apparently, tell me how wrong was I? Donkey Kong Country Two, considered by me and by a lot of people to be the finest side-scrolling 2D platformer of all time, which I'm willing to commit Ooh. to and say that's that's how I feel. For a lot of people, it's the best game on the SNES. It's the best platform game on anything. You know? and this is like a really big ha- talk. I know. That, Everyone, even critically, it's like so highly acclaimed and it's aged, which I'll get on, it's aged really well. But for me, I'd say it probably is the best side-scrolling 2D platform game. What makes it so good? Well, this is the thing. So basically the mechanics of Donkey Kong Country 2 is you control either Diddy Kong or Dixie Kong. They're selectable. Um, they, they have slightly different movesets. Dixie can twirl her hair around and hover a bit and mm-hmm. Diddy kind of rolls around. He's a bit faster. I think he can jump slightly higher. I think he can jump. I think he can jump. Yeah, can he? Can you jump in platform games? Is that what you do? I think yeah. They invented that in 1993, and it really brought took the genre forward. Uh, no, it really did. Eh? Uh, that was good when they brought that in. I remember before you were just like you came a hole and you had to just turn the console off. You, you, yeah, you were just tripping over things. I know you needed a password to get over a hole. You know what I mean? Uh, they were bleak times. So you control either Diddy or Dixie. And there are sort of... I'll give you a bit of background on the storyline, first of all. Um, Always important of, yeah, in the side-scrolling. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah, I know, what an epic this is too. At the end of the first Donkey Kong Country, King K. Rule, King Karul, as some people call him, they called him in the horrible CG animated series. I don't know if you saw any of that, but... It has no, a, I didn't know that existed. Ah, there is a, a CG from the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, a CG Donkey Kong cartoon series. Wow. horrible. But that's based on the Donkey Kong Country series. All right. So you fight these crocodiles called the Kremlings, their leader being uh-huh. King, King Karul, K-Rule, however you want to say it. It's definitely K-Rule. It has a dot after the K. Uh, yeah, I think I saw that uh, when I was conducting my research in this game. At the end of the first... Donkey Kong Country game, basically, you beat him and you win back all your bananas that he's stolen and he escapes. And <laughs> you win back all your bananas. Pretty much, you next year, next year, nanners, and you're like, he's them back, mate. And you get them back, and then he disappears. But as he disappears, he undergoes some sort of makeover change where he's no longer king anymore, he's now a captain. Oh. Oh, he comes right. back as Captain K. Rule, he's like a pirate captain. So he comes he back. He just retrained. I think that was it, eh? Like, he just couldn't get a job as a king anymore, and, you know, rather than. I like to believe that's what happened in revolutionary France. I know. Marie Antoinette just got a different job in, like, a shop. See, uh, she had it easier as well. She wasn't a crocodile. Like, crocodile can't get a job anywhere. Apart from pirates, evidently. Yeah, apart from pirates, and. uh, No, it is just pirates. So he comes back with blunderbuss in hand, now decked out in all his pirate gear and kidnaps Donkey Kong. Mm-hmm. So one thing that's interesting is that of the three Donkey Kong Country games, you can only control Donkey Kong in the first one. He's yeah. not a playable character in any of them. So Diddy's like, oh, you know, that's Donkey been kidnapped. So he gets Dixie and he's like, right, let's go and save him. So you go to this like kind of island of the Kremlings. If anyone's played the first Donkey Kong Country game, you'll know that the map screen and the worlds are all based on the kind of Donkey Kong island. 
Okay. And the island you're in on the second one sort of mirrors this, only it's like the kind of Kremlin island. Oh, sure. With right. Kirill's castle at the top. And you start. Is it in the shape of himself? It has. It has his face around the top of it a Good. bunch of times. So his That's face what is you on have there. to do in a video game castle. You have to customise it in that way. Exactly. So you start at the bottom on his pirate ship and you work your way up and the worlds are sort of... There's a pirate ship world and there's a volcano world and the best one is Crazy Kremland, which is a theme park, theme mm-hmm. world, which has roller coaster levels, Very which I'll nice. come back to because they're awesome. So, so this is it. You're sent to fight you know, the the captain's hordes of crocodile pirate minions. And there's a lot of different enemies. I think there's probably about 20 or so enemies, and they all have kind of, they're all really kind of different. Mm-hmm. And, like, they're good different. They're not just, like, there's some that are reskins, but every sort of class of enemy, if you will, is, like, really kind of unique. So, like, attack patterns and ways you've got to figure them out sort of thing. Yeah, there is one enemy in particular, um one of the best things about Donkey Kong Country 2 is the challenge, uh-huh. which I've obviously I'm now I've reacquainted of. myself yeah. with. Um, one of the enemies is called a clobber, and clobber is basically this wee piratey crocodile that hides in a barrel, and he pops up and runs into you and hits you, like, uh-huh. and he knocks you back and he knocks you down holes. There is a variant of the clobber which every time it hits you, your life counter goes down. All right, is so it? you die. No, your life counter is decreased. Right. If you have six lives and he hits you, your life counter goes down to five. And every time he hits you, you lose another life. So basically, he keeps hitting you until your lives go down to zero and then he knocks you down a hole and you get a game over. Wow. That is that is unnecessarily cruel. And there is a That's le- unnecessarily K rule. Ah, and there is a level where the only enemies in the level are clobbers and this life-stealing crocodile on a barrel is quite a recurring theme in that level. Life-stealing crocodile in a barrel. Aye. That is the name of my uh, post-rock project. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, Did you cry? When? Then or now? Um, I wouldn't say I cried, but I did come pretty close to snapping my controller in half a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult. It's easy to complete. Mm-hmm. There are five worlds... And then once you get to the top of the castle, you fight the captain and basically you don't actually fight him because you run into the room and he disappears and goes to his airship, which is then the last world. Okay. So, But even once you've beaten that, every world has a thing called Clubber's Kiosk and Clubber's this kind of big gatekeeper crocodile. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting mechanics of Donkey Kong Country 2 is in every level there are bonus battles. For anyone that's played a Donkey Kong game, there's going to be barrels in it. Yeah. And these bonus barrels take you to bonus levels where you collect creme coins or bonus coins. What do we think was in those barrels to begin with? Bananas. Th- d- bananas. I think there's in the first one, a lot of them. You see a lot of them in the background, they have bananas in them. Are bananas a traditional barrel commodity? I was thinking more rum, whiskey. But no, we're Maybe going- rum with them being pirates. If you got rum and bananas, you got yourself a daiquiri. There you go. There you go. That th- This is how you would have got 103% if you'd done it while drinking a, da- a daiquiri. Exactly. So uh, you go, you go. the Kremlings are just really into cocktails. <laughs> so, creme coins. Uh-huh. You collect these. You need to collect every one of these in the game to get 102% completion, okay. by the way. There are also, so these are in every level, and there's also a DK coin in every level, mm-hmm. which is basically has no actual use. You just collect them for being able to be like, hey, I've you know collected all these. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just more percentage points in your completion. Exactly. So 
Oh, in, in every world, as I said, there's this club as kiosk, and for twenty five um, creme coins or bonus coins in every world, you go to this a secret level and uh-huh. a, a secret world called the Lost World. And when you complete all the levels, you fight the captain again, and that's the last boss. Oh, okay. So if you like, you have sort of five, six worlds on the face of it, but you need to collect enough bonus coins to access all the secret levels to access the actual last boss. Okay, okay. So part of the, like I said, part, part of the most difficult thing is getting 102% is getting all these bonus levels. Whoever, whoever it was that was responsible for hiding the bonus barrels is a genius. Right. Like, because... All of them are, like, none of them, there are a few that are just randomly stuck around, but there are a few of them that took me ages to find, really hard to find. Is it like, you know, like, you've got to go down, uh, like, pathways that are hidden? Yeah, there's a lot lot of invisible walls. uh, Like, invisible walls, like, purely, like, that bad. It's not even just sort of, like, there's some vines, sort of suggestively, over a gap in a rock. I mean, sometimes sometimes you'll get a hint, but other times you won't. You just need to hope that you're going to be able to find it. That is old school platforming. Like, invisible walls is the most horrific, uh, you know, quote-unquote cheaty way of designing your game to make it hard. I know, it's, I know, it's horrible. It's there's some of the bonus levels are really difficult too, and some of the actual levels are really difficult. So, I mean, th- th- this is the the thing that keeps you playing is you know you need to get enough bonus coins to get to these sec- secret levels to get the actual ending, and it's nowhere near all of them, but it's a pretty high percentage. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for me, this is what makes Donkey Kong Country Two really good is that you're motivated to find this, so you're always going back and replaying levels. Okay, sure. there's more than one bonus barrel in every. A lot of levels have two bonus barrels and a DK coin. Mm-hmm. So, in a level, you complete it, but then also you have to get. If you want 102% completion, you have to go back, get the bonus barrels and the DK coin from it. So, I mean, obviously this collection aspect is a really important part of the game. And just right. to sort of go back to what we were talking about with, with Psychonauts, like, I mean, it sounds like the, the barrels themselves are different enough. Like, the challenge of finding them is makes them different enough from just well, collecting your normal Even when you find them, you're like sent that. to a bonus level that you still need to complete, which could be something like you have to destroy all the enemies or collect a bunch of stars or find the token sort of thing. So, But does it feel different enough, like the mechanic of finding the coins or the donkey coins or the or the barrels? Is like, is it different enough or is it still... Do you still just feel like all you're doing is just like covering every pixel on the on the level to find all the stuff you need to find? There are a lot of levels where you're not really given the option of covering all the pixels mm-hmm. there are a lot of levels like the roller coaster levels for example uh-huh. um, I'll say I'll talk a bit about level types um, most of them are just left to right side scrolling platformers but there are a few sort of interesting ones um, there are these levels where you're in like a kind of bramble maze mm-hmm. where you can't touch like there's brambles up the top, oh, brambles right, in the sure. bottom, brambles outside, and uh-huh. you touch them, you know, you get hurt. Yeah, yeah. And within these levels, there are variants where there's one, for example, where it's all barrel cannons, and you have to shoot around the level in barrel cannons to get oh, to the end. Oh, okay. And there's another one where one of the one of the mechanics is you have these animal kind of friends that are helpers mm-hmm. that you can either ride or sometimes you jump into a barrel and you turn into them. This is sounding dangerously furry. It is very furry. So you get like Rambi the Rhino who can kill the wasp enemies really easily and you get like Squitter the spider Rhinos can... are the natural enemy of wasps they are I mean like literally kicks the shit out of these that wasps that is a like. tale as old as time in the animal kingdom Aye. when will the wasps ever get one back on the rhinos I mean that time I went to the zoo and there was just this rhino going mental destroying all these wasps just, just going ham on one wasp there was a monkey riding it as well I think actually it was bizarre 
to be fair, rhinos could beat up wasps quite easily. Nah, they could. So you got your rhino, and then you got a spider, squatter. You can shoot web platforms. Okay. And then you have um, Ratley, I think the snake's called. Who can jump really high. And you have Ongard, who's like a swordfish. Oh, it's a- right. And then you have you have Squawks. Squawks is like Squawks needs to get his shit together. Like <laughs> Squawks is a parrot, and he is the most difficult thing about the game because you have to you press the B button to make him fly, right. and he can oh. shoot shoot eggs or coconuts or something out of his beak yeah, 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 and for anyone that's played it will remember there are levels where you're in these bramble levels and you have to control squawks and there's one where you have to race another parrot so you're racing another parrot and squawks doesn't control badly but it's made to control oh, right, right. in a difficult manner yeah yeah like, yeah it's, it's not sort of easy like, to control yeah yeah it's like deliberately hamstrung to yes. sort of make it hard to do so know. these bramble levels like when, especially when you're controlling one of the animal helpers, are difficult, very yeah. difficult. Um, so yeah, you get your bramble levels, you get the roller coaster levels, as I said, where basically you jump on a wee skull coaster and you have no control over it. You just have to jump. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So it's like an on rails yeah, level, yeah. but I mean, it's like a minecart level, but with nicer graphics. Exactly. Because yeah. in the first Donkey Kong Country, there were minecarts. Anyway, in every platformer in the nineties, there were minecarts. Yeah, uh, pretty much right, actually. Um, but I mean, can you imagine in an on like a pretty fast on rail section trying to find bonus barrels? I can imagine it. It's pretty but it, you nightmare. You know, it's making me feel you know very uneasy. The thing the thing that we spoke about last time, I think we're going to touch on in a lot of these podcasts is there are stuff that only occurs on on one level. Yeah, they're not rehashing ideas all the time. Oh, good. Yeah. Like for example, there's in in the the. The theme park world, there's the roller coaster level. And then in the kind of gloomy gulch world, which is kind of like a ghostly kind of spooky forest, there's a roller coaster level in that world. But mm-hmm. it's set inside a giant mansion and it's on rails, but you're being chased by a giant ghost. Oh, right, great. So it's not a complete, even though it's the same mechanic, it's not a total rehash of the same idea. What's that Psychonauts thing? You know, like the, the aesthetic is enough to carry you through something that's essentially the same gameplay. And DKC two is a beautiful looking game. No, I do have to concede. Like again, like uh, like last time we the hearts, I've been familiarising myself by watching YouTube videos, and it does look incredible. It's like the, those CG models do still stand up as something that's gorgeously cartoony and really nicely animated. There's a real nice sort of um, again sort of Looney Tunes ish uh, aesthetic, as well as the sort of uh, Pixar ish thing that they were obviously going for. Yeah. And uh, there's so, I mean, yeah. there's so much character in just those two two wee sprites as well. Like, I mean, I don't want to get too sentimental about it, but it's great, man. Like, you totally, you are these monkeys. Like, and I, I much favour Dixie. Like, I never use Diddy unless I have to. Dangerously but, furry. Ah, I know, I know, a sexy monkey. But <laughs> for example, like you know, when you die in that, they have like kind of cutesy, quite funny, like, death animations yeah. and stuff, and, you know, if you leave Diddy to his own devices, like, he juggles coins and that, they have really good stoic animations as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, like, I found myself doing it a lot, but Diddy's climbing animation is really funny, so I just spent <laughs> a lot of time making him climb up and down ropes and just kind of laughing at it. <laughs> Which, this isn't when I was nine years old either, this was the other day, like, so. And the best thing is, when you complete the line... Can he come out tonight, lads? Uh, I'm making a monkey climb. I'm uh, making a monkey she climb. She sees me face. When <laughs> he thinks he's people. <laughs> when, <laughs> when you complete a level, you're treated to a wee bit of kind of character animation too. Like uh, yeah. Dixie whips out a guitar and totally plays like a guitar solo and that. And Diddy has a kind of boombox. Which brings us on to music, I think. Oh, it certainly does. 
as I've said and as I will say every time we record this podcast, I love video game music. And the music from Donkey Kong Country 2 is literally second to none. I think it is the best VG score of all time. Again, big talk, but I think you can back it up with some cold hard facts right about now. for the Donkey Kong Country 2 music in particular. David Wise wrote for most of the rare games, you know, mm-hmm. in the SNES era, stuff like Battletoads and that, and he did all the Donkey Kong Country games, and I think he probably, yeah, he did the N64 offering as well. And right. So, you know, he's just, he's a great, what, great VG composer. What like, sort of music are we talking? The It's beautifully ambient, the Donkey Kong Country music. Mm-hmm. It, even though I'm saying these levels are so hard, some of them so frustrating, they're a joy to play because the music... See the Bramble levels, the music is so good. I think what I picked up on that I really liked about it is it wasn't just sort of like generic ambient music. It wasn't just like, you know, some art director said to the guy, like, we want some ambient music, and he did something pretty predictable. Like, this is high-quality stuff that... You know, like it reminds me a lot of the Orb. I'm not going to say you could put this on back to back with an Orb record, and maybe Aye. nobody would notice. But like, um, it's 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 eclectic. It's beautifully composed. There's a lot going on in it. It's really making a lot of use of like the SNES's sound channels. It's so calming the yeah. music, which is what I think you want when you're you know ready to throw <laughs> your SNES out the window. Yeah, no, it is an interesting sort of. Um, aesthetic disconnect between like how frantic the gameplay looks with like you know these sort of like beautifully spacious um you know uh, uh sounds in the background but yeah i mean it really does work um amazing that so much effort was put into something when at the time you know there would be maybe like five people in the world that had their snes hooked up to their own entertainment system exactly uh, their, their, their um, well i played sound it system. when i played it recently i was like to hell with the TV audio, is straight into the home cinema system with it, like, so, yeah. and it sounds pretty good. And I'll and I'll bet that was the moment where David Wise, wherever he is now, whatever he's doing, just sort of went, yes. David Wise is the reason I write music. Probably that's a big <laughs> statement, but I'd say you know when I was young and I was playing this, I was just like, this music is so good. The thing as well, they've they've saved all the best tunes for the hardest levels. All right, like the bramble levels and then the wasp kind of beehive levels. Like, the enemies are definitely wasps, but they live in, like, beehives. It's all a bit weird. You hear that? They're just really weird-looking bees, but... Because uh, they're well, full of honey. Not... Wasps don't make honey, do they? I think they make a honey-like substance, but it's not something that we'd want to eat. What would you say, yes? Well, Zinger. Right. So Barry has uh, handed me the, the original manual for Donkey Kong Country to Diddy's Conquest. So we're looking at the Zinger here. It's definitely more waspy, hornety than it is bee. The um, the I information that we get about it is 
The bugs are back. Zingers return to endlessly buzz around and cause the Kongs all kinds of problems. Which really doesn't tell you anything. Mm. When I got manuals, like, like when manuals were a thing in video games, I would read all of the manual before I even turned the computer on because I wanted to make sure I knew everything I Aye, needed to do. Manuals were, I, I mean, this, look at, look at, I'm showing him the controls page. Look at that, it looks great. <laughs> that, is, that is beautiful. And I would never forget which button was jump if I looked at that. What button do you think jump is, given surely, it's a SNES game? Surely it's B. Definitely B. It sure is. We have. We, I have a. I have a SNES here in case you're wondering. I yeah, didn't. Yeah. I didn't play. I didn't emulate this. Trying to play Donkey Kong Country Two with a wired 360 pad was a nightmare, given that it has the worst D-pad in the world. For oh, you tried that, yeah. It. Yeah, I started off. Well, like I said, I was under the impression I'd completed it 102. percent So, uh-huh. but then when I discovered I hadn't, I wasn't. I, I continued from a nine-year-old save file. I didn't start from the beginning. You know, All right. Like, okay. Sure. I, that would have been. That would have been a whole. Whole nother battle of monkeys. I have, I have a question mm-hmm. about 102%. Yes. That's just fascinating me. Why is it not just 100%? Why don't you just have 100% be a little louder and make that the top level? Why go to 102%? It's rare. It's rare do what they want. Like. The only thing I can think of there is that we'll have people get into 100% and think, 100% I've completed the game. Yes. Uh, and then they find out, no. They look like... It's worth it though. I mean, when you collect all the DK coins, you're showing a wee. We'll, we'll we'll post a picture of this on the Tumblr so you can see it. I took a picture of it. You're treated to a wee kind of three. You know, there's podiums of like the biggest kind of heroes, uh-huh. and originally the three podiums are Link, Yoshi, and Mario. Oh, okay. On the podiums, and then obviously <laughs> you overtake their place. But the best thing is there's a, a a bin next to the the podiums that has a sign that says "No Hopers" and it has like Sonic's trainers and like Earth, <laughs> Earthworm Jim's gun. That's amazing. I know. That's, that's, we're just getting torn into the opposition. Oh, like. that that was an early insight to the sort of irreverent humour that would make Conquer's Bad Fur Day a passable diversion. Well, this is it. It's a really funny game as well. You have the sort of supporting con characters who you find in the worlds. You know, there's Swanky, who's like a game show host, mm-hmm. and he has a week in a quiz mini game where you can win lives. You've got Wrinkly Kong, who's like a school teacher, and that's where you save your game. Then you've got Cranky Kong, who's obviously the big comic relief. He's The original Donkey Kong is Cranky Kong. That, but for anyone that doesn't know, apparently, Cranky Kong is arcade Donkey Kong oh, right, the and guy Donkey Kong up. Country Donkey Kong is Donkey Kong Junior apparently oh right well, that makes that actually makes sense my god somebody thought about that Aye. that's terrifying and great as well my word Aye. so I mean so yeah I mean you're treated to stuff like this kind of ripping into Sonic and then you get to overtake Mario as the the greatest hero sort of thing so you are the greatest hero Barry I'm the greatest hero 102% 102 you told me earlier like Donkey Kong 3 you could get 103%. 103%, which I have done as a child. I like, actually have done that. Before anyone doubts him. I know. So in Donkey Kong 1, could you get 101? Yeah, I'm sure you can. I don't recall because I've not done Donkey Kong Country all the way to 100%. But Did you play them? Was, was that one too early yeah, for I, you? I owned them all. Like uh-huh. They were my favourite games as kids. All three of them, I think they're all great. Like, um, Rare, obviously, when they were still sound guys. Yeah. Not that I'm saying they're not well. No, they're yeah, probably I'm still all right that. guys. Nah, they're not. They made banjo kazooie nuts and bolts. There's nothing sound about those guys anymore. Like, <laughs> what, what, you think they got together with Hudson Soft and are just laughing at you forever? Pretty much. Like, I think there might be a rare remake of Adventure Island on the way that has me as the main character, where I'm just getting <laughs> just crying as you run around on your skateboard. Run around much, on like, your skateboard. I, I, that, 
that's what you'd do. That's what I'd do. I think that is a perfect way to end it. Apart from asking, is this worth playing now? Definitely worth playing now. If you can get your hands on a SNES and get your hands on a copy of the game, you need to play it with a SNES pad. Um, it's impossible with anything else, and it feels you great. Can get, on well, too. Can you not get it? I'm, I'm sure you can get it WiiWare. You can probably yeah, get it. You can, get it, you can get it on Virtual Console, but again, if you don't have that SNES Classic controller, I'd I'd really advise going with the SNES pad for it. It just feels better. What does it use like the shoulder buttons and stuff like that? Yeah. Huh. You have. Uh, you have. There's a whole move set which I won't go into, it, but. Know, but all yeah. the buttons are it's very complicated yeah that's that's more buttons than you normally get in a platformer deep, but no it's challenging it looks great and it looks great by today's standards yeah absolutely some retro games that were trying to be really graphically kind of like whoa you know what I mean mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like this isn't like Babylon 5 or that eh? yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. actually still well this is an era where it, well this is the thing like um, it is 3D CG models but you know it's obviously like they've been rendered and then just used as sprites yeah. So you know it's not rendering any of these models on the fly. It's yeah. just got like a like a, a high resolution, and it's just you know really um, involved sprites. So you know like the SNES doesn't struggle to throw any of it around, mm. and it looks great. It is it is really nicely designed. Looks great, plays great, sounds great, is great. Simply one of the best games of all time. And if you've never played it, get it right to the top of your list. Even if you're not a fan of platform games, if you just want to play something amazing that also gives you a decent challenge, then no other options. It's that good. Looks like I'm going to have to uh, ignore my own thirteen uh, year old instincts and eat play you it for breakfast. But yep. you will enjoy being chewed up. By I, w- this I will enjoy feeling like game. a tatty scone. Totally, I can murder a tatty scone. Let's go and get some tatty scones. Let's do that. Right, we'll be right back to wrap this up. Ties. And so that brings us to the end of the second episode of One More Go. One More Go 2, One More Gore. Yes, yes, quite. I've got no zinger there, I wasn't expecting that. Ah, well. Did you enjoy it? Great. Uh, I maybe when it goes intense next time with the games, I don't think I'm going to do another 102% completion, but it really, it's taken a taking its toll I think I, you want something just a bit easier aye. something a bit gentler got a big hairy chest now because they're doing it at least but. yeah 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 now you are a man that aye, is totally. the, the way the, that standard is uh, is realised but no it's great what about you you enjoy Psychonauts have a good fun yes with? yeah I do I love Psychonauts it's so great I just wish there wasn't so much wrong with it aye. Um I'll get a shot anyway I'll see what it's like yeah I don't know it is, it is, it is um, it, it's a wonderful thing and I wish there were more games like it and if they were better actual games, then that would be great as well. Totally. And so I, so thank you, Nickel. Thank, thank you, you for playing, for getting through Psychonauts. Like. Thank you, Barry. Thank you for having the blind obsession to complete what your nine-year-old self could not. I know, I know. I feel like I've really, you know, it's a rites of passage, so I'm glad. Um, so, and thank you, listeners of the internet, for tuning in for a second time. Yes, Thank you. No, do, do, we do. We generally appreciate. We had quite a, a nice, warm reaction from the from the first episode. So, um, if you enjoyed that, if you enjoyed this, if you enjoy us, please tell your friends and let's spread the enjoyment. And as always, if you want to check us out, you can find us at one more go podcast dot tumblr dot com, or you can get me and Nickel on Twitter. 
that's right. Which I, I guess, if you're listening to this, you may already follow us on Twitter. But uh, if not, you can get Nickel at, at Nickel Hay. That's correct. And you can get me at No Stopping Epoch. My God, you rehearsed that, didn't you? I didn't. This is just off the top of my head. What? I've just perked up a bit since earlier on. Okay. I should say that when we were doing that whole Psychonaut section, I was very hungover. <laughs> but I feel like my hangovers are maybe starting to lift now. The, the regenerative powers of talking about rare games uh, you can also contact us on our email address which is one more gold podcast at gmail.com if you like emailing but you uh, know Twitter works as well and please get in touch I mean if there's any particular games that you want us to maybe have a look at in future um, we're still kind of trying to settle on a more overarching format for mm-hmm. the podcast we may be trying out some sort of new sections here or there in the future but if you have any suggestions for that or you know if you want to get involved or you want to tell us to play this game because it's brilliant then please do yeah just talk to us because we're lonely so lonely so lonely so please tune in next time for one more go of all about games that we used to love games that we still love games that we hope you'll love too yes I was going to say drop the tagline but I'm glad you did one more time one more time just for gravitas one more go uh-huh. one more go games we used to love games we still love and games we hope you'll love too see you all next time goodbye bye and Nicola and I will be back next month for a one more go Christmas special yes who doesn't love Christmas video games selection boxes crap jumpers we're gonna have it all see you then <laughs>